and welcome to the big blue box podcast my name's gary my name's adam and this is episode 343 yeah it is welcome back to another week and another episode it's been a funny old, a funny old week and a funny old uh, few days for the obvious reasons. So Adam and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, and um, yeah, if any of our listeners are um, from the Ukraine or Ukrainian and stuff, our heart goes out to you. Of course, it's a bit of a, mm. it's a bit of a crap, a crap situation for you guys. So, um, and uh, yeah, so we are definitely thinking of you. Absolutely, we've you know we've said that a few times. Mm throughout the last week as this has all been going on and like i said adam, adam and i had a a wee chat beforehand and uh i hope in some way that the the podcast provides a little bit of a an escape for you for an hour or so and takes your mind off of things so um yeah to our to, to the, the country of ukraine and all ukrainian stuff then uh just we wish you all the best we really do and uh yeah mm. our, our heart definitely goes out to you at a minute so Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if you are joining us from wherever you are in the world and whatever's going on, it is so good to have you here and to talk about Doctor Who and take your mind off everything and hear us waffle nonsense about (laughs) said Doctor Who for a little while. And it is pure uh, nonsense. nonsense, Yeah. (laughs) And it is episode three, four, three. So last week, uh, I hope you had your headphones on as you listened to a couple of eps that went out. Um, So we had the... uh, our last episode, 342, where we uh, were going through Torchwood, and that was Miracle Day. And then on Monday of this week, actually not last week, we had our February round table, which is very fun, very fun to record. And and uh, we're, get, yeah, we're getting some good feedback on it, actually. A lot of people saying, oh, I love the round tables and stuff. So, <laughs> yes. They uh, are good, fun. Yeah. yeah so uh, we're going to keep those rolling. We decided for 2022 we're going to do those monthly. So look out for... The next one in March. God knows what we're going to talk about for that one in March, but <laughs> be entertaining nonetheless. We we can always find something, I'm sure. Oh yes, to waffle on yeah. about. Well, if certain media outlets and and tabloids can scrape the barrel with pretty much anything, <laughs> I'm sure we can we can dish up anything. It might be we might talk about a, a guy that was an extra back in 1979 uh, that was on screen for a second, and we'll make up some story sell it to the papers whatever mm-hmm. we'll find something yeah uh before we crack on with what adam and i have been up to and some other little uh funny bits that have been going on in the world of who remember to follow this podcast in your preferred podcast app of choice we release a new episode every friday so make sure make sure you're following or subscribing whatever the call to action is within your apple platform we'd love to have you as a subscriber uh, and uh, if you've just found the podcast, if you're new to the TARDIS, then welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're a long-time listener, one of the Grizzled Ancients, it's great to have you here as well. Mm, the Grizzled Ancients. Remember that we have a ton of stuff over on the website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. Over there, you can listen to all of the apps on there as well for free, and you can link off 
to the various social networks. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We chat Doctor Who throughout the week. So come and get involved over there. And we also have a free Discord server. Again, the link is in the website. Hop over there and chat Doctor Who with plenty of other cool Who fans. We had a, uh, a few people jump into the server over the last week. So welcome to you guys in the Discord. And lastly, uh, our amazing writing team who joined us on the roundtable this week. They're the guys that put out the uh, the very cool reviews and articles and stuff on the website as well. So, uh, yeah, so go and check them out. And also, please remember, don't forget... Don't forget to forget. <laughs> don't forget to check out Adam's <laughs> channel over on YouTube, which is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Geek's Handbag, yeah, go and check out my vids. Um, lots of Doctor Who vids. Um, I've got so many unfinished vids at the minute, mate. I'm finding it very hard to get motivated, but if anybody fancies editing my videos or or if anything were god forbid to happen to me they're all in the geeks vault somebody dig them out and finish them because there's some lucky for the other day and i've recorded some really good stuff and i really must knuckle down and edit it not boasting but like you know some good location stuff and things so yeah i need to get on with it yeah i'm not a big fan of editing though but i always love it when i get a new video out so go and check out all my vids and i'm on all the socials like insta and twitter and all that under the same name. Good job. The Geek's Handbag. Go yes. and stalk him. The Geek's Handbag. Yeah. Yes. What have you been up to, bud? Anything Doctor Huey? I don't think you have. You've been away. You've been travelling, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been in Paris for a couple of days, and um, I, I managed to make it a bit of Doctor Huey, as I, as of <laughs> course I would, because, I mean, I think the last time I was there was about four or five years ago, and um, I did a video visiting all the locations used in City of Death, which was great fun. Um and uh, I particularly wanted to find the chateau where, you know, there's a famous picture of Tom Baker doing the hand pose outside this sort of archway with these doors. And it was a nightmare because it was so busy. It was a Chanel shop at the time, but the doors were there. So um, we, we were very close to it. Um, we were sort of walking towards uh, Notre Dame. And I said, oh, let's pop by and see, you know, just as we're there. <laughs> and uh, I was horrified to find that the doors had gone. But oh. I think hopefully temporarily. So it's all been cleaned up and it's not Chanel anymore. It's um, I think they're either turning it into apartments or a hotel or something. So the outside looks really clean, but then the doors are gone and it's just boarded up and it looked a real mess. It looked like a sort of building site. Um, so I got a picture out the front of it again. Uh, but hopefully, yeah, I'm hoping the doors have just gone away to be cleaned up or repainted or something because i'd hate to think they're gone for good but yeah so i managed to fit in a few doctor who locations while i was in paris and stuff the eiffel tower and all that um but i was yeah i was looking at my twitter feed line while i was over there and because i was uh, aware that i was missing london film and comic con which um i've been in two minds about going to uh, for ages now and um I, w- I must admit, even though I was having a great time in Paris, I was slightly gutted to have missed out, actually. I saw, because Jodie and Mandit were there, and I saw loads of great pics um, on my f- on my timeline of, of those guys. And uh, I was I was absolutely amazed that Jodie didn't have a, a a screen, you see. This is one of the reasons I thought, when I got the chance to go to Paris, I got a really good deal. I thought, oh, but it does mean I'm going to miss LFCC, but oh, I'm pretty sure Jodie's going to have a screen because she's pregnant now, and I don't want to pay £75 for a screen pic, and all that sort of thing. So... When I saw the pictures and she didn't, and she's really huggy with everyone and, and everything, yeah, there's a little bit of jealousy crept in there. I was like, oh my goodness, because I'm not the biggest Jodie fan, but she is, I like her, mm-hmm. you know, I like her as a person, and she is the doctor at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, but the pictures I saw from FCC were really cool. On the downside, I am seeing <laughs> so many people that went to it, 
have, have got uh, COVID. Like my, my timeline on Twitter yesterday was just filled with friends and, and people I follow just posting pictures of COVID kits with double lines saying, oh no, you know, it's a lot of, there's a couple of friends, for example, that um, got a Doctor Who BFI event this weekend uh, for Revelation of the Daleks. And uh, already there's like four or five of my friends that were going to go that, that can't go because they were at LFCC and they've tested positive for COVID. And I'm like, oh dear. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a downside. So on that sense, I'm glad I wasn't there. But it looked like a cool event and it looked like they're finally, I've never done an MCM. Um, I know MCM often have props like they had the Rick and Morty UFO and things you can have photos with for free. And me and you have always said, you know, LFCC don't seem to make much effort when it comes to... <laughs> the actual show it's all about just guests and queuing up for autos there's never much there um and they're getting better and i saw they had a giant dinosaur uh at this one i saw lots of people having this picture with this giant dinosaur which looked really cool so maybe they're starting to get their act together and stuff but yeah pictures from lscc mate they look very cool we, were you sad to miss it i mean you you were sort of thinking of going at one point we both were weren't we, we were like oh should we shall we who have they got i mean Richard E. Grant was there. He was somebody else. I would have loved to have got a picture of Richard E. Grant. Um, so there were some good guests at this one. But, yeah, were you were you sad not to be there when you saw the pics being uploaded? Um, yeah, kind of. Because uh, we were... Well, not too Yeah, bold. we were um and ahhing and I thought, yeah, shall we, shall we? And uh, so, in, yeah, in one way, it was it would have been very cool to, to grab a picture with Jodie and stuff. That would have been very cool. But mm. at the same time, I'm glad that I don't have covid so that's uh, every cloud, yeah. I think, is the way to look at it. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I worked out that if... So I think there was three people I wanted to meet, which is Jodie Mandip and Richard E. Grant. And I worked out if I met those three people with travel and then sort of food and drink and stuff, I was going to be spending about 200, 250 quid just just for that. Yeah. So if I, if I didn't get anything else, any autos, nothing, just for three photos... And a train ticket up there and stuff. I, it'd be about 200, 250 pounds. So obviously, <laughs> I was then, um, was offered cheap tickets to Paris. I thought, this is costing me nowhere near that. So do I go to Paris for like literally half the cost? <laughs> or do I go and get three photographs? And, and you know, it's 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 the thing. <laughs> it's, it's what being Dot Two fans like. Because even though, uh, as I said, I had a great time in Paris. There was part of me that thought, oh, I wish I'd gone now when I saw the pics. But it is crazy money. And I think, you know, you've got to be prepared to dish the cash if you go to <laughs> something like LFCC. So in that sense, I'm glad because I definitely, you know, sp- saved some money there. But mm. yeah, the whole code thing as well. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. And we say it quite frequently. And uh, we've said it over the years that when you and I first met, actually, way back when mm. and we w- went to the odd convention here and there i think we went to um like the very very early lfcc and collector mania and milton keys yeah, and yeah. some of those events over at the copthorne hotel in in slough oh they were good fun the, um, yeah you've got to be because it's not like that back then it was making me sound very old i'm aware of that <laughs> it's like you know i went into town with the tenor Bought yeah. lunch and still had me bus fare. You know, not sounding like that, but back then it was like you walked into these things for free, or it was you know, fiver at the most, and you could you know you could spend you could spend a hundred quid, and that you know that would get you in, that would get you a couple of pics, that would get you a couple of bits of merch and and a burger. It was all good, but now it's like mm, yeah, if you yeah. like listener, if you're thinking of of nipping along to any of these things, then 
then great. But just be prepared for the the costs to mount up if you do want to have, even if you don't have photo shoots, but you want to get a few autographs and a quick, a very quick meet with somebody. You do that. Mm. You've got your ticket, got your travel, a bit of lunch. It does mount up. So, yeah, it's not cheap being a, a fan of insert franchise here, Doctor Who, Star Wars, whatever. It's not. It's not cheap. The answer. Mm. But yes. uh, yeah, congrats to people that did uh, get along there. We got <clears> your pick with Jody. I just hope that you didn't you didn't get the lurgy, and you haven't got the uh, the two lines on your test kit. So, but yeah, surprised <clears> you didn't uh, have some more restrictions in place. But that's <clears> I <throat> don't want to sound too neg- well, negative didn't you, about LFCC and Showmasters. But I get the feeling that once the government said you don't need a face mask anymore, I don't they would have just opened the floodgates. And I was going to yeah. say, yeah, a friend of mine pointed that out. He was like. Because uh, another friend that I'm in a group chat with him um, lives in America. They just had Gallifrey One, which looked like a cool event, but they had screens. I think for almost everybody. I think um, there were one or two that didn't. I think Sasha Dwan was one that didn't. But most of the guests over there had a black drape with a screen in the middle, and um, he was a bit peeved when he saw our pictures because he's like, "God, they're so much better! Like, I can't believe they didn't. You don't have screens over there." And we were like. Well, we, we they have, but they obviously didn't at this one. And I think because the government have just completely obliterated all the uh, rules over here, they've all gone. So we don't, you know, I think showmasters have just taken that with, you know, with both arms and said, okay, so we don't have to do anything now. We don't, you know, which is good in a way for those that want photos, but bad in a way for the fact that COVID has obviously spread around LFCC like wildfire. But you know, I mean, everyone's really happy with their picks, but they're sat at home with COVID. So it's a real double-edged you know, sword, isn't it? Yeah. Double-edged sword. But yeah, the government have completely relaxed all the rules here. So of course, showmasters are going to mm. um, go with it. Yeah. And I get the feeling, and I don't want this to turn into a bit of a, uh, you know, throwing any shade at showmasters. But no, no, because we love going to their stuff. Exactly. But yeah. 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 It's great. But I do get the feeling that sometimes. The, the show me the money train of thought outweighs the you know other things. So in the past, when we've mm. been, there was one year that we went to LFCC in the summer, the big one in July, and I think yeah. it was what we are now twenty twenty two. I think it was like 2019, 2018, something like that, and it was a real big one. It was the one where they announced announced pretty much everybody from modern Doctor oh, Who. Oh, every Doctor. Yep. Yeah. And they had all the classic Doctors there. They even had Eccleston, Tennant, remember? And, um, yeah, it was a big one. Yeah. yeah. Eccleston's first. Yeah, yeah, and they had loads of people from Doctor Who and loads of people from, from Star Wars and The Walking Dead at the time and stuff. It was a massive one. And obviously it was mm. sold out. And we were there and we were... We saw people queuing around the block in the beating hot sun. It was a really hot yeah, day and weekend. Mm. And then while we were in there, and we were up on that top mezzanine section because we were queuing for, for pics with various doctors and stuff. I'm 99% sure, dude, that that place was well over capacity. It were, was rammed. Yeah, there were times where you literally couldn't move. And there's no fire mm. exits up on that top section there. So if there was a fire drill or, you know, God forbid a fire was to break out, there's no way you're getting out of that place if you're on the top floor anytime soon. It was literally no. like you couldn't eat. You had to queue. You had to queue and wait to go up and down the stairs. There Those so stairs many. as well yeah. are really rickety, aren't they? they like, I'm not exaggerating, yeah. am I? Those blooming staircases, you feel like they're going to collapse just with 10 people on them. I hate going up them. Yeah, no, it's terrible. <laughs> so, um, 
yeah. yeah uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to go down that road of, you know, throwing any 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 aspersions towards those guys at Showmasters because they do put on a good event. I just wish they would look at a bigger venue and somewhere a bit more. I say this every year, every year I moan about it and it never happens. But yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's uh, those of you that had turned up to the spring one, uh, thumbs up for the old pick. Just hope you didn't get the COVID. And those of you that did, that'll learn you. Let's hope it's mild. <laughs> exactly. On all seriousness, yeah, let's hope it's mild. And nothing happens. Right, shall we uh, shall we jump into the, the TARDIS and do a bit of news, bud? Yeah, go for it. Ah, the tabloids, eh? What they got this time. I love them. So Mail Online, which is uh, the online version of the Daily Mail newspaper here in the UK, have said that an insider, this is really weird because they're kind of in in cahoots with The Sun. So a TV insider told The Mm. Sun newspaper that the, uh, the BBC wants something unique to mark six decades of Doctor Who. And while getting all the former Time Lords together will be a challenge... It's one Russell might just achieve. Now I can tell you mm. off the bat. So the, that's the that's the headline takeaway, is that apparently an insider has told the papers that the BBC and Russell are keen to get as many doctors back for the sixtieth to do that kind of celebration. Now you and I know, and probably lots of other Who fans know, that this is complete BS, just straight off the bat straight off the bat, because we all know, we've we've covered this story for years now, since you and I have been doing this podcast, I think. Mm. And uh, some of it it is achievable, I think, but in a nutshell, they want to get David Tennant, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, and Christopher Eccleston all back for the 60th. Now, I think it's a safe bet that absolutely David Tennant and Peter Capaldi would come back. I think that's actually Capaldi. I don't think you know. I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. I don't think Capaldi would. I'll tell you why. I th- actually, yeah, we'll get onto that because I, I think okay. uh, there's a reason why I think he would. Um, but okay. I think Capaldi and Tennant for me would do it. I think Matt Smith probably would. Mm. Um, but I think he's like David Tennant. He's so busy. It might be one of those, you know, scheduling conflict that kind of thing. But the thing that it's just weird is that we know a hundred percent that Eccleston can't even mention Russell's name without his face contorting into some kind of <laughs> maniacal supervillain. So yeah. <laughs> the fact that this is all going on, I mean, Russell would absolutely say, yeah, I'm up for doing this guys, but I'm 99% sure that Eccleston's not going to do it because if you think mm. about the, the, um, the, the, the lack of enthusiasm that Eccleston had for the TV series while Russell wasn't here. Now that Russell's back and the problem was Russell, I mm. really can't see. I mean, unless something drastically changes over the next few weeks, I don't know, because I guess they're going to have to start filming this like now, mm. like getting this the ball running now. Because when is the 60th? It's the late one in the year, right? It's what, September. October, something uh, like that. Yeah, but it's ne- so it'd be next year. Yeah, exactly. Year. So they've got yeah, yeah. they've got November, September yeah. or something like that, plus however many months between now and then. 
So you've got a year plus what four months. That's mm. not a lot of time to uh, to get a big celebratory that sort of thing off the ground and rocking and rolling because it needs to be written for a start. So I guess Russell needs to know which doctors are coming back and committed to it uh, and all that stuff. And then you've got to do all that in between all the other series, you know, with the new doctor and everything. So anyway, um, that's what I think. I think there are a few doctors that would be up for this. And, um, but I'm interested to hear your reason why Capaldi, you think he wouldn't be up for it. I don't know. I just think out of those four doctors, I think the only two that I could see really wanting to do it and, and possibly coming back if they could, could do the scheduling would be uh, David and Matt. I think those two would be up well up for it. Um, Eccleston, for the reasons you just mentioned, we know he didn't. He had problems with Russell. I think he's out a hundred percent. Capaldi. Uh, the reason I say I don't think he would do it, um, although he's a massive fan of the show, and uh, he was a great doctor. I, I feel there's a bit of bad bad blood there. Whenever I've seen him in interviews since he left, and just the general feeling I get from Capaldi is that. Um, I, I honestly believe he felt like he was pushed from the role. I, there's something with Capaldi. I can't put my finger on it. When I've seen him in interviews, he's quite dismissive of ever returning. And he's not the kind of guy that sort of says stuff like that just to be coy. Oh, maybe I'll come back. Capaldi's quite straight and down the line. You know, he's got that Scottish yeah. to the pointness about him. And he's just very honestly said, you know, no, I'm not in, you know, I wouldn't come back. And I, I, I feel like there's something that's riled Capaldi about his exit. Uh, it's just, I could be completely wrong. It's just the feeling I get from seeing interviews with him since he left. And I, I don't think he's up for coming back. I just don't get that vibe from him, but I could be completely wrong. And I'd love to, I'd love to see all four of them back, obviously. But I think the two that I think are most likely are Matt and David, because I think they had a ball doing the 50th as well. Mm. Those two, seem to really get on well off screen as well as on. And um, I can totally see them coming back to do it, but who knows? Yeah. But oh. Eccleston, no way. <laughs> That's never going to happen. I don't think if it did, I'd be absolutely amazed. And I do hold out just a glimmer of hope just because he, <laughs> just because he does have a track record of backtracking, doesn't he? A little bit. I'm never doing yeah. conventions. Chris, do you want to do LFCC? I'll go on then. I'm never doing big finish. Chris, do you want to do big finish? I'll go on then. So, uh, you know, never say never. He's Again, he's quite practical, Chris. It, to him, it's a job. And if he feels like he wants to do it for some reason, he might, but can't see it. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree with that dude on Eccleston, for sure. It would be mm. some kind of, I have no idea how, how that would be resolved, really, because we still don't know the exact details. We know that, I think it was a, at a convention last year, or the year before Eccleston was quizzed about it, and he did open up a little bit and say it was Russell that I had the falling out with. Because we all played yeah. guessing games yeah. up to that point. Was it Julie Gardner? Was it somebody else? But yeah, it turns out it was it was Russell that he had a, hmm. a bit of a tiff with. So until those two can sort that out, this is never going to happen, is it? It's just going to be a, a rumour. But I think the reason why I thought Capaldi would be up for it is because I think in contrast to what you're saying around some interviews where he's been like yeah, a bit dismissive, the only mm. two interviews I can remember him doing is the first one that was on, hmm, I can't remember what it was, but he was saying that he loved being the doctor and, and all that stuff. And yeah. then the second interview that I heard was, I think he was on the radio with Zoe Ball 
Radio 2. Oh, yes. Like I remember that. And he started, when he started crying. Um, yeah. Really emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And he was. So for me, that's that's probably what I'm holding on to a bit of hope that mm. because he might still feel that way, you know, he might come back. So I think in priority order, then we're saying that Matt and, and David would, would definitely do it. Uh, schedules permitting Capaldi, maybe, probably maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Eccleston. No, nah. I don't think that's Jodie. I mean, so soon after leaving, would she, well, well she's pregnant. She's, she's so she, exactly. Mate, yeah. It's, um, probably, I would say she would probably turn up. Yeah. I would say maybe so. she'll be on a screen like Hartnell in the three doctors <laughs> just jabbering on. Oh God, that'd be awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, I did want to ask your opinion on this last thing before we wrap this up this bit. Mm. The um, one thing that we were absolutely gutted about and when they did the 50th anniversary, my view on this is still exactly the same as it was then, is that I honestly wish that the classic Doctors were incorporated into the story. Yeah. And I know that Moffat said this numerous times and everybody quizzed him about it. He said, look, this is about celebrating Doctor Who and looking forward. It's not about bringing the past back into the... So I get that. I I do understand. Mm. But I honestly feel like those guys should have been in the main story somehow. Because although that story is great, it does feel like just a a special in the modern era. It doesn't feel like a proper celebration of Doctor Who. It feels like it's... Not 50 years. No, it it feels like a special for the modern Doctors with a little a little acknowledgement here and there of the past. It doesn't feel like a proper mm. thing. So um, do you think that they should incorporate them in for this one? Because although I wouldn't say they made up for it with the five-ish Doctors reboot, which is very cool that and funny brilliant. and, and yeah. that was great. It still wasn't, they still weren't involved in the, in the 50th storyline itself. Do you think they should include no. them in the 60th? Yeah, I, I do actually. I do. Um, I just think I, I agree with you. We I, I don't think we've reviewed Day of the Doctor, have we? I Not think yet. that's been right. bouncing around our schedule for ages. Um, but um, so I won't say too much about that. But yeah, I think it would be nice. I mean, we got that one scene, didn't we, at the end where they were all lined up together, which was a nice moment. But it wasn't them. It was you know CGI and stuff. Um, it would be nice to incorporate them, and it can be done. I mean, I, I do love the line that Moffat come up with with. Um, David David Bradley's doctor in Twice Per Time when he's like, "What's going on with your face? It's all over the place." And he and he said it was due to something or other. But it was a clever little throwaway line just to explain why he looked a bit different. And I think RTD might have done that with um with Peter Davison, didn't he, in the Children in Need thing? Oh yeah. I think there's a reference to why do I look different? Oh, it's the time distortions, you know, making it. So you you can get round it. You can just throw in a little throwaway line. And to be honest, I don't think the fans care. I don't think they care enough. They won't need an ex- a massive drawn out explanation of why they look different. We we won't care if they're in it. We will just love it for what it is. Um, can I just quickly tell you my very quickly tell you my little theory? Shoot. And uh, this is what. So I, we were talking about the 60th down the pub after Phantom a couple of weeks ago, and we were saying, "Oh, do you think Russell will bring back all the Doctors for 60th?" And I had this idea of what I thought he might do, or let's just say, if he doesn't do this, this was what I would do. I was saying because Russell wants to do all the, um, you know, spin-offs and stuff like the Ace Adventures and Joe Grant and all that sort of thing. I was saying, why doesn't he do a 60th bringing back? 
instead of all the classic doctors, all the classic companions that we, because you know the pair, you know all the little extras they've done for the Blu-rays, like the one with Perry uh, recently, where she goes off in the TARDIS and joins. You know, bring back some of these classic companions like Perry and Joe Grant and an ace and have a, a 60th with them obviously the doctor's still in the background but you could really focus on you know this strong if you want female companion does well it doesn't have to be females you might want to bring matt turlow or adric who knows bring some of the companions back because to me that's just as exciting having some of the classic companions come back for an adventure and and the doctor's sort of still being involved obviously but maybe they're you know a bit like the fourth doctor in five doctors trapped in a you know a time scoop or something you could still have the doctors involved but have the you know some of the classic companions as the as the lead cast i think that'd be really exciting i, I would love that you know so it's, it's like it's the doctor who it's not like the sarah jane adventures it's not just a spin-off it's a proper celebration of doctor who the doctors are involved but we've brought back some absolutely belters of classic companions like you could have zoe i think could still work um, you know, as I said, Perry, Joe, Ace, it'd be brilliant, I think. I agree, dude. So that's what yeah. I thought he might be doing. I thought maybe that's because then he could do the spin-offs. He could, you know, say, we've brought back the classic companions for a modern audience. We've introduced them in the 60th for anybody that wasn't aware of them. Now new viewers will see how cool Ace is. And here's their spin-off. And here's the Doctor Who going forward for, from the 60th. You know, it'd be a good way of branching into the multiverse sort of thing. Yes, no, I agree. But that's just that. my theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- I just wanted to get that on. I'm just copywriting that. So if Russell is listening because we know he does. Yeah, uh, he does listen every week. <laughs> he does listen. So I'm just yeah. putting a copyright on that. Okay, cool. Yeah, hey, Russell. But yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to see that. I'd love to see some of the pl- classic companions come back. Yeah, same, dude. Yeah, and I think it would be completely doable and plausible as well because it would. They've already set up those little storylines already. So in the trailers for yes. those Blu ray box sets and whatnot. The first one where we saw Ace up in the Shard and she's running her own agency and stuff. Charitable Earth. Or Charitable is, yeah. Earth, yeah. And then you've got the recent one, like you mentioned, with Perry. And, uh, yeah, so the groundwork... And you had Joe Grant and of, um, um, poor old Stuart Bevan. They did a great little... Sorry, not poor old, but obviously he just passed away. I mean, but you had uh, Joe Grant, didn't you? With right. um yeah. What was, the, what was Stuart's uh, character's oh, name? From the Green Death. Um, yeah, but you had that cool yeah. little DVD extra that they did recently where they were fighting uh, Daffodil Autons. I was thinking, this is great fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Yeah. The groundwork's already been done. I mean, yeah. isn't, we were assuming that Russell would probably put his own spin on that. But certainly, if we wanted to get a spin off up and running, it's like, well, you know, the, the awesome guys that are producing those sets and doing the features, they've kind of given you a, given you an open door to, to walk in and do that stuff. And, yeah, so I'm up for that, dude. I'd love that. That'd be cool. He, he'd be the man to do it as well because he knows those characters like inside out, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He'd be so good at writing the classic companions, I think. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. I'm up for that, dude. Naked just bring... a thought, Russell. Just a thought. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be the uh, the older generation of companions as well. They could bring back some people to, to accompany them. I'm thinking, um, what's her face from the first series of the Sarah Jane Adventures? What's the the lead younger woman, uh, younger girl in the Sarah Jane. She goes off to America, though, after series one, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't remember her name, but yeah. I you know, know who you I mean. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's taking it wide. Yeah, but I mean, you could you could bring in anybody, couldn't you? You wanted to. There's, 
the amount of characters we've had in Dot Two over the years, you could literally, yeah. you know, the world's your oyster. Yeah, you yeah. could bring back a It'd few be people fun. and and do that. Bring yeah. back K Nine, couldn't you? K Nine, yep. You could have Clara crashing in in a blimmin' diner Tardis. Although I wouldn't want that personally, but some people might. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm pretty sure Russell and all the peeps at Bad Wolf have have this kind of discussion every day oh definitely yeah they're down the pub chewing it over yeah Yeah. to be a fly on the wall for those things can you imagine on the phone as well on the phone to Sophie Aldred like (laughs) Sophie thank you for agreeing to do this it's been great what you can't do it now oh (laughs) Sophie that's disappointing can you imagine how close we might come or I have know. come in the past to those things. Who knows? Who knows? Mm. Who knows? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> like we, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's the uh, the Mail Online as part of the Daily Mail. We'll keep you updated on this completely legitimate story that's uh, knocking about. We'll see what the the insiders at the Sun newspaper have to say on this as we get closer and closer to... Uh, it must be round the corner now, right? Some announcement for the next Doctor. It must be... If they're point. filming soon, yeah. surely. Yeah. yeah. So we'll keep you updated as always, uh, dear Doctor Who listener. And that's going to do it for news. There's nothing else knocking about. So we will smash on to our review. What have we got this week, bud? Yeah. So we're going back to the first Doctor era this time. Hmm. Uh, with the planet of the giants. The most dangerous moment is at the point of materialization. The most dangerous. <laughs> Close the door! What do you mean, close the door? Close the door! It's an emergency! Close the door! They opened! Doors open before we properly materialize. But what does it mean? We have been reduced roughly to the size of an inch. An inch? I can see a huge leg coming! You'd do anything to get what you want, wouldn't you? death all around us. The experiment must go through. It gets more horrifying every moment. <laughs> can get us back to normal size. Oh, you yes, of course I can, dear boy, yes. Barbara! Of course I can. I hope. Coming to DVD next summer. <laughs> the planet of, uh, the planet of giants. I keep saying Planet of the Giants. There's no the, is oh. there? Oh, no. I keep saying that as well. Let me just cross out yeah, that. Yeah, I keep doing that. Planet of Giants <laughs> was first broadcast back on the 31st of October. So for Halloween, back on uh, back in 1964. <laughs> and it's a three-parter, finished up on the 14th of November of the same year. It stars William Hartnell, of course, as the first Doctor, with William Russell, Jacqueline Hill, and Carol Ann Ford. And... This was written by uh, Louise, Lois, Lois Marks. I think Lewis Marks, Lewis I think, Marks, yeah. uh, Directed by Mervyn Pinfield with Douglas Camfield. I think Douglas Camfield, according to this, did a bit of work as a director on the third episode. And oh, right. the synopsis is, the doors of the TARDIS open of their own accord just before it materialises, running out of control. On emerging, the travellers find the ship has been reduced in size and they are about the size of an inch. As tiny people, they stumble across a plot by a ruthless businessman, Forrester, and his misguided scientist colleague, Smithers, to launch Smithers. a new insecticide called DN6. 
a product so destructive that it would kill not only those insects harmful to agriculture, but also those vital to it. Forrester is willing to commit murder to ensure the success of his business as civil servant Arnold Farrow discovers to his cost. The criminals are brought to justice when the Doctor and his friends, hampered by the fact that Barbara is ill from the insecticide, tamper with the telephone in Smithers' laboratory, fueling the suspicions of the local telephone exchange operator, Hilda, who sends her police constable husband, Bert, <laughs> to investigate. Amazing. Good old synopsis, actually. Nice yes. and in-depth. All right, dude, Planet of Giants, then. What do you reckon? Planet of Giants, yes. Um, it has all the ingredients to be... An absolute classic. Um, and it's a great little storyline, actually. I mean, just the synopsis you read there, I think, reads really well. So I think on paper, this sounds like a cracker. Um, somehow, it doesn't quite translate to screen. And uh, I think it's mainly due to the limitations of, of how things were made back then. It's just very stilted and it, found, it it seems to really sort of plod along, even though it's only three episodes long. Uh, if it had been four, it would have really dragged. Um, so I think it's a great story in terms of the actual storyline. I think it has really good stuff going on. And I did enjoy watching it, but... It isn't great, if that makes sense. So I, it's kind of frustrating because all the way through, I'm thinking this has got some really good stuff in it and could be good, but it just isn't quite working. And, um, for, and again, I think it's just the limitations because like when they, <laughs> every time they discover something, obviously the sets are so small. So like if there's a giant pod of seeds, they're literally right in front of them but the actor has to act surprised like they've just seen them. And so Sue's going to be like, oh, Ian, look at all these ants. And they're, they're right in front of her. But she's only, it's just, yeah, the limitations really show through. Um, but I did enjoy it really, especially the first episode. I love all the stuff in the TARDIS. Like I really, this is what I love about early Doctor Who. I love the fact that they, instead of just landing, getting out and going on an adventure, they do they, they sort of treat the TARDIS with respect. It's a machine that they can't quite control and it gives this edge, you know, this edge to it of danger. So they're checking the fault locator and all this stuff and the doors have opened so they've been shrunk and something's gone wrong and the screen's exploded. I was loving all that stuff in, in episode one and the giant worm and the matchbox that Ian gets in. And there's, there's a lot to love in this. Um, and maybe between the two of us, I can figure out why it doesn't quite work. Because I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, Although I enjoyed it for the most part, I don't know why it isn't brilliant. I don't know what it is about it that, that just feels so flat. Because, uh, yeah, I think it's a great story uh, on paper. But I just don't know why it just doesn't translate to screen. Mm. So, yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a middle of the road for me, mate. I, I do like it, but I feel like it could have been a heck of a lot better. Okay. I th yeah. For some reason, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah? Yeah. Just had a feeling. And mm. uh, I do agree with you, buddy, on this one. I think um, I thought that being a three-parter, we wouldn't have any kind of, well, not as much sort of binge style watching lag that you get with some of the four and six-parters. But mm. there's something about it that just feels like the cast are trying really hard. That's one thing I will say. Yeah. The cast are really into it and... You know, when you see Ian pretending to be knocked around in the matchbox and 
you know, all this stuff. It, yeah. They are trying. You can see that they're, they're acting their socks off to try and portray the illusion of being small. You, know, you can tell. But the, the writing's just a little bit stagnant from start to finish, unfortunately. Stagnant, yeah. It's a little bit... Like with some classic stories, it starts off pretty strong. You know, that's mm. the that's the formula for most of classic Who, where it starts off strong, you have a bit of a mid, mid-story mid dip, and then it hopefully builds up again to a climax at the end. Not every story is like that, but that's like the typical sort of curve, I guess. Mm. But with this one, it just seems to be really flat from right from the beginning. So I say right from the beginning. The, the first couple of minutes are kind of cool when they're landing the TARDIS and... TARDIS, yeah. You know, that's all cool and the doctor's kicking off and he's getting he's flustered and and Ian's like he's frustrated as well. He's like, Well, you never explain any of this stuff to us, Doctor, so how can we help and how can we and you know, yeah. the doctor's having none of it. He's like, I just get out of my way, I'm just you know, trying to fix it. So that's really cool, like the opening couple of minutes. But once they come out into the garden and they see, you know, all that stuff, it just uh you know, it's almost like they've been swept up in this um sort of blackmail and murder story that's going on in the background. But that's very, very slow. I think that doesn't mm. help because those two characters throughout the, the bulk of the story, because we have the first the first um, character that we see, the guy, um, uh, what's his name, Farrow. So Farrow yeah. and Forrester are having that discussion at the beginning. And even that at the beginning, just oh, it's just really boring. It's like... Ah, uh, yeah, we've got something to do with this experiment for DN, DN6. And, well, it should be all right. Don't worry. Well, it needs to be because of my business and blah, blah. And then you don't, you know, he gets shot and that's it. So even that should be like a real kind of like, oh, what's going on here? But, you know, the way that's been directed. And I think you mentioned earlier about the limitations of the, mm. you know, the way they could make this back in the day with the budgets and stuff. You could kind of accept that when you're dealing with the, you know, the the huge sets, you know, the the overscaled items like the plug hole and the yeah. ant and all that stuff. The plug. I can absolutely see it with that. Yeah, there is a limitation how you do that stuff, but the um the scenes with the with the fully grown people, uh, the full size people, should I say, even like the telephone operator and the policeman, you know, it's all just extremely static and slow and boring. Like there's no mm. There's no real substance to that part of the story, I'm afraid. For me, anyway. I mean, some people might like that, but yeah, like the 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 antagonist is Forrester, right? He's the cutthroat business guy that's obviously, you know, pumped a lot of money into the project, and he's mm. desperate to see it through so that this sort of groundbreaking insecticide can be sold all over the world and he'll make millions and stuff. So you can see he that you can see the motive right off the bat. But it's just the way that it just unfolds throughout the three episodes. They're just bored. Like, yeah, come on, but, guys. Yeah, it shouldn't be though, should it? Because like the <laughs> just the idea of it, like the TARDIS being shrunk and being in the crack of a pavement, and you know the Doctor and the giant sinkhole plug and all that, and yeah, you got Ian in a giant matchbox, a, a very angry cat, a giant cat. You know, it's it's just it's all in there, really. It's um, there's some really fun stuff going on. And I, I was surprised when you you said that Douglas Canfield was involved as the director as well in episode three. I think was Mervyn Pinfield taken ill or something that he had to take over. But um, I'm just surprised because I think the direction is quite lacking. 
Um, and Douglas Camfield is, I would consider, one of, if not the best director on Doctor Who. So I'm not sure how much involvement he has. I, that's why I was really surprised when you mentioned his name because I wouldn't have associated him with this at all. It doesn't have any of his sort of flair or, or uh, you know, sort of he, he often filmed for low angles and stuff like that. But, yeah, so maybe he just came in to pick up or help out on episode three. I don't know. Yeah, but there's probably. no flair to the direction in this, I have to say. But again, I'm not going to go too hard on Mervyn Penfield because, you know, uh, what year was this? 1964? Mm, 64, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they've probably got great big bulky cameras that they're trying to <laughs> shift around. The sets are probably tiny. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, they probably did the best they could. It's just that this was... I was trying to put myself back in... You know, when this first went out in 1964, for as a child, I probably would have loved it. Um, all the big sets and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It probably would have been quite magical, I think, back in 1964. Yeah, I think so. I would so. think, you so know, I would, I would, because yeah. it's kicking off the second series of Doctor Who. So you want a really good story to, you know, to kick off the next season, don't you? And mm. I wouldn't say, as I said, it's not the best story by any means, but they probably thought it was going to be. I would think with all the stuff that it's got going on. Yeah, no, I agree, dude. It was, um, yeah. So I think, um, I think, uh, Pinfield's, uh, Mervyn Pinfield was just, uh, scheduled to work on something else. Uh, I think at the oh, time. Oh, is it as simple as that? Yeah. So I think he just had other, other things to, that he was scheduled to work on and couldn't do. Th- oh, right. Because it's meant to be a four part originally. So was I think, it? I think his work was scheduled around doing four episodes. Ah. Uh. So, when it was cut down to three, he was like, okay, I'll do something else. But then it conflicted. So, yeah. So Was it so cut down because they just realised there wasn't enough to keep it um, sustained for or what? Well, it was. Um, it came from the BBC, dude, that they should knock it down to three episodes. Right. Because it would somebody, have really think, struggled, wouldn't it, at four? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody at the BBC, I think it was, um, I'll find his name in a second, or her name, probably at the time him. But I think he said, look, just this story doesn't work over, over four parts because... Mm. Uh, the last one was meant to be called "The Urge to Live," and it was. Um, and then episode three was meant to be titled "Crisis," and um, and then when they were editing editing it together from the stuff that they had worked on already, they just said, "Look, it's just not going to work." With you know, it is already the story is already filling up three parts quite nicely with what we've edited together. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, they just said, yeah let's do three parts instead of four. So because of that, Thank there was a little, bit of a, yeah, a little bit of a conflict going on with times and stuff. So Douglas Camfield came in and, but it's, that is weird though, like you say, because you would have thought that the one that he directed, because he is a good director. We've, we reviewed a few of his stories already. Oh, he's a brilliant director. Very, very cool. So maybe mm. it was just the fact of, I'm playing a complete guessing game with this, but maybe it was a case of, okay, well the story so far has been done in this way and this style if I come in and do a completely different face about turn, it's going to look sort of a little bit disconnected from the other two parts. So I will just direct it and keep it going as it's been done so far. I'm guessing that's my, what that's what's happened. That, it that would feel make like, sense. It does make It doesn't feel like a, a Douglas Camfield episode, that one. No, I, I read a really good book on Doug, Douglas Camfield not that long ago, actually. Um, I can't remember. This was probably mentioned in it, but I can't remember his involvement at all. In this one, I was just thinking if this was a missing story, though, and you only had some screenshots 
Um, you would, you, this would be one you would think, oh God, look at this, the doctor and Susan in a giant plug and oh, look <laughs> at that giant ant. And oh my God, there's Barbara with a, a wasp that's huge and she's terrified, you know, it, in picture form, this would look really exciting. And if it didn't exist, it'd be one of those stories that you would, you know, probably be top of the mm. wanted list, wouldn't it? Oh, we've got a fine planet of giants because look at it. It looks amazing. So I don't know. Again, the, the visuals are, are pretty cool, but yeah, just the direction, I suppose. But then again, I, as I said, the, the sets are probably tiny. It's, it's probably more down to they did the best they could with what they had, I suppose. Yeah. But it really shows so. at times, doesn't it? Yeah. And I would have loved that, you know, as a, as a, as a, or even an adult back in the 60s and seeing, you know, we don't have the same, they didn't have the same luxury as we do now. So, um, you know, they didn't put out trailers and, you know, and we didn't see mm-hmm. uh, uh, still shots from the sets or behind the scenes in magazines or anything like that too much. But if you had have seen them, like the giant ant or the wasp or something or that, you know, the, um, you know, when, uh, when um, he gets killed near the beginning, uh, the character um, Arnold Farrow. You know, Farrow, he gets sorry. killed by Forrester and he just sees dead face, basically, and then Ian looks oh, tiny. Oh, the giant, yeah. You know? So that stuff would have looked amazing and you would have thought, oh, this got to watch this, it looks great. But the execution in live action, I think, it is cool, don't get me wrong, they did a, a reasonably good job of it. You can just tell the... Because I think even if you had a production that had more money than Doctor Who, it still mm-hmm. would have struggled at the time just because of the the year in you know the time period in which you're making this stuff so i have Fair to say the the second cliffhanger is good though isn't it when they're in the sink and they let the water <laughs> out i thought that was quite a cool little cliffhanger what yeah. was the thing that was making you laugh that you put on twitter last night what was the line oh, i thought that was, was quite doctor, fun yeah um they had they made all that effort and work to climb up the up the pipe and out the plug hole yeah and uh i think um susan was screaming for ian and barbara and they you know, they're up on the top on the work surface and they're down in the sink. And they made all that effort and then the Forrester and um and uh Forrester and Smithers. Smithers, sorry. Is Terrible. Uh, they Smithers. come in and like right need to scatter and hide and so the doctor's like, Right, back down the plug hole and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, because bless him, Hartnell he's he was obviously knocking on a bit, as we know, at this point in his career, but you know, just to see him trying to scramble down the plug hole and climb back out. And it was just that line, yeah. Quickly, Susan, down, back down the plug hole. <laughs> yeah, I was cracking up at that. But that I was laughing at it, but it's also that's the only thing I could think of once I'd finished watching the story. I could only have his voice in my in my head. I could just hear him, down the plug hole. <laughs> and it was funny, wasn't it? Because when they're in the little overflow section, it's like a little lesson on plumbing, isn't it, in the UK? UK plumbing, it's like, well, this won't do any good because the water will just come back up the overflow pipe and <laughs> yeah. we'll get washed away. <laughs> so, yeah, there was things like that. I mean, story-wise, dude, it's really simple, right? As a story, we've just got a problem with the TARDIS upon materialisation. It's gone, you know, a bit of a hiccup and it's shrunk them all, simple as that. And they're back on Earth. The first time since an unearthly child, they're back on Earth. Mm. And, uh, and it just revolves around this, you know, this uh, dude... Forrester who's killed someone and is about to kill someone else because his business plan project is about to go up in smoke. So the story-wise, it's very, very simple. Um, in yeah. terms of performances, dude, um, 
what did you think to the the the, the full size peoples? Because we had a bit of a a, a film legend, as, you know, as the in the role of Forrester. So mm. uh, Alan Tilvern, um, although he did a few bits on TV back in the day, back in the sixties and seventies, he was in Dad's Army and Poldark and. Yeah. Had a little stint in the Sweeney for a couple of episodes. There was some um, his film, uh, his film career was huge. I mean, right back to 1946 when his first film came out, and then he's just done about 50 odd films. You know, it's just mm. so many films, and most notably, you would have recognised him as his very last film role as R.K. Maroon in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, <laughs> so that's what most people would have known him for, but. Yeah, loads and loads and loads of films. So a bit of a... Is that his, is that his last film role, was it, Blind? Yeah, yeah 1988, yeah. Because I think he died in... When did he unfortunately leave us? He died 2003. in... 2003. Uh, 2003, yeah. So mm-hmm. so I think he retired. Um, Must have done. Yeah, so anyway, he's, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a legend dude in sort of TV and, and film. But what do you reckon to him in this? Because I would oh. say that him, alongside... Um, Reginald Barrett, who played Smithers, and Frank Crawshaw, who played Farrow. They were okay, but I do get the feeling, because I was quite bored, maybe it was because I was quite bored with those scenes, I felt they were a little bit... um, That's the best way to describe it. You know when you see people audition for roles, and they've got Mm. the script and they're holding it in front of them and they're just reading the script... Yeah. I felt like a lot of it was like that. There was only the odd time where Smithers lose, lost his beep a little bit a couple of times. But that was it. The rest of the time it was, yeah, it, it felt very much like, you know, I've put too much into this business. Well, don't worry, the experiment will go ahead. Well, it better do, otherwise there'll be trouble. Well, why did you kill him? You didn't have to kill him. You know, there was no um, dynamic in the how they were delivering their lines. It was like they were just reading the script back and forth. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, no, it's exactly how I felt. I feel that's why the story isn't as good as it could be, actually. I think they um, kind of let the side down a bit. I don't know why their performance is so flat. It's There's no flair to any of those three at all. And like you said, that guy, um, you know, obviously done a lot of acting in his time. It's not as if he's a sort of unknown that they've dragged off the street. Give this a go. And maybe they just weren't into it. Because I, I just don't feel like they're given any gusto they haven't taken the part you know and and grabbed it and, and gone with it I just like you said it just feels like they're reading their lines and it's all yeah should page three now is it okay you know there's no go to their performance with any of those three i don't think i mean smithers maybe there's a little bit more than the other two like when there's a bit where he's sort of being blackmailed and he gets a little bit cross, but yeah, the, the, I think the three of them let the side down, and it, it, the, their scenes are boring, and they shouldn't be. They like you said earlier. There's the scene where Forrester shoots Pharaoh, or is it the other way around? I keep getting their names that's mixed right, up. That's right. um, you know, it should be exciting. It should be like almost like gangster movie style. You know, it's territory. But it's it's just even that is boring. So yeah, I think they they let the side down a bit. I think. The main cast, like you said, right at the start of the review, are, are, are giving it as the best they can. They're really trying to make the most of everything. Um, and I think the scenes with them in, for the most part, are good. But yeah, anytime it goes back to these three or two, depending on who's still alive, um, it does get boring. It does. Mm. 
A little bit. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of expected. They're not the stars of the show. You know, they're not the they're not supposed to be the exciting part of the story, right? The exciting bit is meant mm. to be our main cast dealing with the, the the hurdles of trying to navigate around being the size of an inch. You know, it's that's the exciting bit. So these guys, they shouldn't they shouldn't be the 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 main draw of the story. But you would still expect them to be a little bit more. I don't know. Not necessarily chewing the furniture like we have with some people, but at least you know making it a bit gripping. Like what's going to happen with these guys instead of just he's got a gun. There's none of that. Yeah. Is there? He just sort of pulls the gun out. He has none of that. <gasps> Surely mm. he's not going to shoot him. Oh my god, he has. You know, it's none of that um, at all. Yeah, and it's a good reason why that this the story was rejected the first time round. Sidney Newman rejected it and said, "Did he?" Well, for two main reasons. The first one was. It's just going to be technically too difficult to do at this time. Mm. And the other reason was he felt like there was just no character development. He felt that the characters just didn't go anywhere. And you can completely see why. He yeah, definitely, tossed yeah. it back first time and said, look, there's just no... And I've, I've no idea, but maybe they did rewrite that a little bit to try and make them a little bit more, have a bit of a journey throughout the story. But still, not not exciting stuff, dude, with those guys anyway in terms of cast and performance and stuff. Mm. Um, so that was a bit of a an okay. And also the climax with those guys wasn't great either. No, so there's no big payoff. Old Hilda and Bert, you know, the <laughs> Hilda on the telephone exchange. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, that scene as well, which is like, see, it's the same voice and all that. Again, <laughs> it's it's more comical than it's supposed to be, I think. Yeah. And the thing is, it's been, again, that was something I was very surprised about with Alan Silvan because... Uh, just putting a hanky over the telephone, but talking in your regular voice doesn't really <laughs> yeah. do much to mask or change your, no. uh, you know, and try and appear as a different voice. That that just didn't, I was really confused at that. He just popped a hanky over, spoke in almost the same way, just a little bit slower. Yeah. So you yeah. could tell a mile off it was the same guy, but, you know, she has to involve her husband, who's the local Bobby on the beat, and she's like, look, I'm sure it's the same person and he gets his ear to it. And he's like, so those two, they provided a bit of unintentional comic relief, I suppose. But even at the end when she says, right, I'll send someone over and Bert turns up and nobody really gets arrested um, in like any sort of dramatic fashion. It's just like, right, we need to have a word about what's going on. And and that's mm. it. And then we cut to the, to the main dude. So yeah, yeah. Again, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I only watched this last night, and it, again, I can't even really remember the end. It just kind of, yeah, that storyline's over. It does kind of wrap up a bit quick, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. What did you think to? Uh, let's talk about Susan first. Mm. What did you think to uh, to Caroline Ford or Susan? Because we normally have a situation where she doesn't do much, and other times she's she's very cool. But what about this one for you then? Well, yeah, I don't think she's a bit screamy and whiny in it. Um, she, she didn't really do a lot in this <laughs> one either, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I was surprised it's Barbara that actually twists her ankle in this story. I don't know if they changed it in the script and said, oh, no, let's let Barbara fall over this week because you've done it every other week. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, we get into the end of uh, Caroline Ford will leave in the next story anyway, won't she? Is it is Darling of Asian Earth next? Yeah. yeah. So she's... She's sort of probably checked out a bit, I think, because um, I just didn't really feel much. You know, she doesn't get much to do. There's a couple of good scenes with Ian towards the start with the giant ant. Uh, 
But yeah, she mostly just screams at dead props being thrown at her. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the, um, you know, the poisonous seed story element as well, because by the time we meet the third dead animal, <laughs> a giant dead animal, I was thinking in my head, oh, is it just because they can't animate the props so everything's dead? And then, of course, you know, you find out that the reason that, that all the animals are dead, which does make sense. And I and I like that part of the story, the fact that, they, you know, the... The, the weave the two things together mm-hmm. but um but yeah carolyn ford it, there's nothing stand out that i can think of uh from her in the story i can't think of anything susan does really mm. like the other two i can sort of think of moments but yeah. I can barely remember her in it am i missing anything I, re- I honestly can't think of much with her Not really we had um there was a cool conversation in the beginning where ian and barbara are trying to find out from her why the tardis has played up because the doctor doesn't really want to say, and he's he's walked off with the huff as he normally does, and that yeah. was okay. But she's and she's sort of typical Susan. She's a bit sheepish and doesn't want to go into too much detail. But and that's it really for the rest of it. Yeah, you're right. She's just a, she screams a few times when she sees the ant and some other bits, and yeah. So she's not terrible, but yeah, I yeah. just can't think of any moment from her at all. You know, mm. I can think of ones for Ian and Barbara and, and the doctor, but I can't think. Of anything about Susan, and yeah, I only watched this yeah. last night, so yeah, she didn't stand out. I'm afraid. Yeah, same. What about um, uh, William Russell and Jacqueline Hill then? <laughs> because they both they both had a decent decent enough go on this one. I think so. Yeah, for different reasons. Yeah, I think Ian's doing. Th- in a way, they kind of just throw threw him into a into a bucket of expectation. I think with some stories, he just expects him to be the muscle. Mm. Because the doctor clearly can't do it. There's a good scene where he's they've they've put this um sort of little um plan together where they're gonna light the Bunsen burner on the desk with the match. Oh and, yeah. That's fun. Which yeah. is great. And then he's got the match and he's the doctor's like, put your back into it kind of thing. And he's like, Yeah, but you tried carrying this. So that you know, you you normally expect him to get stuck in with fisty cuffs or doing that stuff, which is which is okay. And he's you know, he's he looks after he looks after Barbara fairly well and stuff, but and then um, Barbara's character she touches the insecticide on the on the seeds and stuff with the hanky, yeah. and she gets a bit poorly and stuff. So for different reasons, they had a fairly decent outing. But would you say it's expected performances from those two? You no, know, I, I think they always deliver. I love Ian and Barbara. I think that I think they're brilliantly played by uh, William and Jacqueline. Um, and I, it's it's not like a standout story for either of them, but I still think they're both really good in it and uh, Ian Chesterton uh, William Russell just does his thing and I think he does it well in the story I, I really like actually coming back to some of the plot points that I think do work in this story I, I really like the idea that you know shrunk Barbara touching the insecticide her body can't cope with it um, and the only way her body will be able to cope with it is she's made full size I think that's a really wonderful simple idea and again, it adds a bit of danger, a bit of, uh, you know, you know, a bit of excitement to the story. And I think we should have had more of that. It should have played up a bit more to to some of those ideas, because um, that's a good one, isn't it? It's like, oh, my God, if if, if we don't get Barbara back to normal size soon, she's going to die. You know, there's a bit of peril there. Um, so I thought that was a good little idea that that, you know, her body can't cope with it because she's been shrunk. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think cool. those two are great, mate. I, I I love this TARDIS team. I mean, even you know, even Susan. I mean, Caroline Ford, not her fault. She very often doesn't get 
much to do. I think the writers just don't know what to do with them most of the time. But I, I really like the Stardust team. So even on a story like this, when it's a bit, you know, meh, uh, I think um, they still carry it enough for me to enjoy it. But mainly, okay. mainly uh, Ian and Barbara, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough, dude. Yeah, I completely agree with that, man. Yeah, they always deliver. I love and them. Yeah. Yeah, for Susan, she just, it's not her fault. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just sometimes she doesn't get much to do within the story. So what else can she do? No. Um, and the best thing is that those two still, they still carry this nice, almost um, parental thing with Ian and Barbara and Susan, don't they? They're, they're still the teachers looking after Susan. She's like the younger yeah. sort of um, character. So I, I like that that theme carries through, that they're always you know making sure she's okay and, and taking care of us so they do feel a bit like a family in that sense and i like that yes no i agree dude yeah what about old hartnell then so he's in it for all three didn't bugger yeah. off on holiday on this one <laughs> and um a couple of little fluff lines here and there but nothing God, major, too bad in nothing. this one yeah I, there was a couple of little but yeah nothing too bad at all yeah he's, he's I, um and I like it, you know, we've we've mentioned this a few times where it's funny when he loses his rag with Ian sometimes and, <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's a bit flustered and stuff. And yeah, so in this one, he, you're right, dude. It's one of those things where the ingredients are there, but just nothing shining out. Like, I can't really remember. I remember a couple of scenes, but if you ask me in a week's time, like, what was a standout scene with the Doctor in Planet of Giants? I'd be like, mm, not quite sure. I'd have to go and watch it. To, yeah, so... Yes. Okay, not terrible, but not standout. No, I, it, there isn't anything really standout. I, I do think he's great in it, though. I, I absolutely love Hartnell in this. Any scene he's in, um, I just think he's just wonderful on screen. And I, I love the bit at the start where he's he's really kicking off <laughs> about the TARDIS uh, going wrong and, wow, well, check everything and get out of the way and all this stuff. Because what's lovely about that is you think oh, he's a grumpy old so-and-so and and this is season two. So Barbara and Ian have kind of got used to him a little bit by now and they don't take it too personally. But then what I love about it is that he then does turn around and there's a lovely short scene uh, right in episode one where he apologises to Barbara and Ian, doesn't he? He says, oh, I'm sorry. I I was getting a bit, uh, I may have been a bit uh, rude there and uh, sorry about that. And I thought, you know, that, that it's lovely the way the show Every now and again, they show this lovely softer side to the Doctor. And actually, I think in episode three, I'm not sure, but there's there's another scene later on between the Doctor and Barbara. And they have a really lovely relationship, you know, that uh, the character's just the way that he's so irascible, but she, she doesn't take it personally. And he realises he's being rude and he'll say to her, oh, you know, I'm sorry about that, my dear. And uh, don't, don't worry. It's, it's just the way I am sort of thing. There's a couple of nice scenes like that in this story. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I really like the, the first doctor relationship with Barbara that she, you know, it, when he's going off on one, she'll just roll her eyes because she knows that's just what he's like. Yeah. There are a few scenes like that where, a bit of eye rolling going on and, and stuff. But yeah, there are lovely little scenes when... There's a warmth, isn't there, between warmth, the characters? Yeah. yeah. Defo, yeah. And I think Hartnell's Doctor is known, you know, for being like the old grouchy. Yeah. I, I love him, you know. Time, but the that's more cool. I watch him. Yeah. 
yeah, when he's good. going up that cliff edge as well and he's like get careful or he's getting all cross and he careful my dear you know when he's coming actually i think it's when he's climbing down he's getting all cross and i can't remember what he says but goodness me you know i just love him i think he's he's irascible but really charming underneath and again it, it adds to the alien element of the doctor i think that's what i love about the first doctor is i do feel like he's not the same as the rest of them he is you know he is alien and I, I like that i think i think that's the thing that i think is unappreciated about william hartnell is that when he played the doctor he really got the fact that he was an alien you know you don't feel mm. like it's william mm. hartnell playing he's, he's not sort of i know you love tenant and i love tenant but there were criticisms that he was a bit too human at times because of the way he was written but with hartnell you really get the feeling he's from another planet and, I, and that's what i love about him mm-hmm. no i agree on that one dude Yes. Well, uh, what about old? Uh, what do you think about old Dudder's music then? Old Dudley oh, Simpson. was it Dudley Simpson? Yeah. Because I, I didn't like the music in this. I, I actually found it quite distracting. <laughs> I thought it was stock music because it, it didn't fit at all. I didn't mm-hmm. think a lot of the time. It. Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm surprised it was Douglas because yeah, to me it just didn't feel like it when mm. it enhanced the story at all. I felt like they'd just gone and found a load of stock music and shoved it over certain scenes because it even seems to fade out and cut quickly. So I'm surprised to hear it was Douglas, yeah. I normally yeah. love his stuff. Yeah. yeah, I didn't like the music much, mate. I found it was a bit out of place. Yeah, I think um, a, a, a good sign that the music was good in any episode, whether it's classic or modern Doctor Who, is if you hum along afterwards or you have it in your mind and you know the theme from a certain story... Mm. Uh, if it's not stock music but this one i didn't I, I can't actually remember any of the music anyway which is surprising because yeah old dad is he normally he's normally pretty good i normally um, like him yeah but this one uh, i can't even remember that much music in it anyway it was a bit bombastic but it seemed mm. like if if they sort of did something that wasn't really even that bigger gesture there'd be like a big fanfare music to it but da, 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 someone's just walked mm-hmm. on the set it, it just didn't yeah it didn't really fit i didn't think mm. no agreed anything else any notes bud no i don't think so no i've <laughs> just got giant cat written down for some reason uh no oh, i don't cat. think i've got anything else to say on this one <laughs> all right then bud let's go to the scores i think it's me to go first i'm going to give this a 6.5 yay snap same oh really no <laughs> Yeah, same, because I, I, I did enjoy it overall. I just don't think it's that great. And uh, it is frustrating that it isn't as good as, as it could have been. Right. You know? so, yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to read the book, actually. I'll have to dig out the Target novel, because I, I bet it's a good read. I, I think the storyline's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, yeah 6.5 from me as well, mate. Yeah, who did the novelisation? Was it Dix? Was it Terence Dix? Probably. I think it was Terence Dix. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Let's yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 That'll be oh, well, it will then. be. Yeah. don't know if I've got it. I don't think I have, actually. Now I'm looking at the cover. I'll have to have a look. Mm. Anyway, he would yeah. Have, yeah, he would have fleshed out a bunch of story elements. Oh, I could imagine he would have done a good job with this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, dokie. So 6.5s all round then from us. What did our listeners mm. think? We had a few over on the over on the social. So Will Sanger says, it's not very good. Oh. The main cast are strong, particularly Ian and Barbara. However, it's a story that relies upon its gimmick. It's just three episodes of mucking about and overcoming minor uninteresting obstacles. But beyond that, mm. the central plot fails to be interesting to me. Three out of ten. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. Three. A three. Wow. Right, our writer Jordan says, an oh. okay story. The cast are excellent, but the plot is a little thin and far too ambitious for a 60s budget. But yeah. you have to appreciate that uh, the can-do attitude the production side has here. It's not quite Ant-Man, but it's on its way there, <laughs> a fun enough romp. Yeah, that's fair enough, Jordan. Uh, yeah. Doctor Who Home says it's a lovely idea and wonderfully realised. There's magic to this one that only this era can show and deliver on. The stakes mm. are small enough, and thankfully the story is two at three parts. It's slightly ploddy. Uh, some great cliffhangers, seven out of ten. Okay, seven. Uh, Chippy T says, I like the uniqueness of this. We've had the classic enemy, the historicals, the space-bound stories, but here we have something completely new. The peril isn't great, but the effects are good for the time. Enjoyable, but you'd only revisit on a watch through. Six for me. Six, okay. it's a good way of putting it, yeah. Mm. And uh, The Courier of Who says, I love the concept and the story. I enjoy the vast amount of fun that it's had and is clear to see. It's one of my fave TARDIS teams, a solid seven. Mm, which is good. Seven. And lastly on Twitter, Edward Galuli says, an enjoyable adventure with good sets and all the regulars on form, a 6.5. Okay, that was 6.5, cool. Yes, and just a couple over on Facebook. We had uh, another one of our writers, Harry, says, ambitious as hell for a 60s story. Mm. I love its ridiculous concepts. Oh, no, how will they ever escape that giant mog? Yes, the giant cat was a bit... Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't do anything, does it? I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? You get something really cool and then nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie Turner says a pretty good take on being shrunk down style concepts, even is a little even if it is a little bit silly in some areas. Did both of you guys know that this was intended to be the very first Doctor Who story in history before the idea of Coal Hill School and Cave People got pushed forward? No. Didn't know. Uh, it is just too bad that episode three of this story is a mix of the original episode three and the original episode four together that really as episode four could have been in its own episode altogether so it feels crammed and something is a bit wrong especially how the cast uh, solved the problem uh, it is like that it's been rushed to save time and money in the filming schedule uh, that the story had nothing terrible though i just wish it had ended better mm. but uh, charlie gives it an eight still which is good an eight okay no i didn't know that it's interesting yeah um, i knew that they filmed this within the first block of the first series, but decided to hold it back for the opener of series two. I didn't realize it was going to be the very, very first ever story. Though. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much, Charlie. And uh, to all of our other uh, listeners over on the socials, uh, it's great to have your views and always, I think average on this one's probably about a six and a half or a seven dude. Yeah, I would say. So next week, bud, what we're reviewing. Yeah. So we'll be back to uh, Torchwood children of earth next week. And we're on day four. Day four of five, so it's like the penultimate uh, episode of this series. So let's see where that takes us. Indeedy, yeah. Okay, day four. I can't wait to watch this one, dude. We've been loving uh, Torchwood, Children of Earth so far. So we'll see how this goes. It should be good. Yes, I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, I'm liking it. Okay, okay, let's wrap that indeed for episode 343. All righty. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for checking out the Big Blue Box podcast. That was episode 
343. It was great to have you listening, as always. And a 6.5 on Planet of Giants. So, yeah, we have got another first story, uh, first Doctor story coming up. A little bit of a spoiler for you in a couple of months' time. So we will see how uh, the review goes for that one. But uh, obviously way before then, next week, as Adam said, our review story is back to Torchwood with Children of Earth and Day 4. So get your Blu-rays and your DVDs watched. And I'm pretty sure it's still on iPlayer here in the UK at least. So get that watched because we'll be asking for your thoughts and your reviews as always. In the meantime, make sure you follow the podcast in your fave podcast app because we put a show out every Friday, so don't miss out on those. Or you can listen to them on the website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. On the website, you can also read the reviews and articles from our awesome writing team, as well as click those links to go off to the socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We chat plenty of Doctor Who throughout the week, so come and get involved there. And we have a free Discord server. So link on the website, jump in there and chat Doctor Who with plenty of other Doctor Who fans. Also, remember to check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yeah. Lots of Doctor Who vids on there. Go and have a look. Go and check it out. Yeah, yeah get comfy, and grab subscribe. a brew. Subscribe. <laughs> Go and do all that. And Adam's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So go and check him out on there as well. Indeed. Until next week, take care of yourself. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, in London. London.